Thank you. Thank you for that uh, nice, kind, polite ripple. Welcome, everyone that's here. Welcome to you if you're watching online. Now, we need to start this message with an apology or a clarification at least. You see, what we were going to do tonight when we originally put the plans together, and we put the preaching plans together months and months in advance, and what we had for January the 9th from months ago was that we would start our series on sex and relationships. We've got a series called Crazy Sexy Love. And uh, I know, and that is our relationship series. And the plan was we started it January the 9th. But then Rob came along, and if you were here last week or if you watched online last week, you'd know that Rob spoke to us about priorities, about making sure that we focus on the things that are of prime importance. First, seek the kingdom of God. First, seek the counsel of God. And he gave us seven priorities, seven firsts, and, and that was a kind of a prophetic word for this year, that this is a year that we concentrate on what's really, really important. And you know what? It spoke to me. And I thought, I need to not start this series this week. Rather than just barreling into uh, what it's going to be an amazing series, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm really excited about it. But rather than just going straight into how we do relationships, how we navigate sexuality in a hypersexual culture that we live in, rather than doing those straight off, let us think about what's really important. Let's be responsive to the challenge that Rob has given us to think about priorities, because this is a good time to think about your priorities, what's really, really important for you individually, but also what's important for us as a church. Before I get into that, and the, the title is Last Things First, but before we expand on that and develop that, need to give you a little bit of a lowdown and a, a little bit of a warning that this is going to be a little bit of a, it's going to be a lot. We're going to go through a whole lot of stuff this evening, and uh, there's a whole bunch of vision for us to come back to, but also some zingers are going to come in there. So I want you, yeah, I want you to get rid of, ready? I want you to get ready. I want you to get ready because we are going to throw in some big news. We're going to drop some big bombs over the next few minutes. But first of all, we need to talk about jigsaw puzzles. Jigsaw puzzles. Put your hand up if you went home for Christmas and you did a jigsaw puzzle. Hands up. Okay, I can see a few hands. The rest of you, what were you doing? What were you doing? This is a traditional time. We have our family times together, quality times. I guess maybe the rest of you were in isolation, and in which case, forgive me for being insensitive. But it, it's just one of those things where uh, we do jigsaw puzzles. I don't know quite how this happens, but even in the Janadu household, we did a jigsaw puzzle over Christmas. We had family over staying with us, and Kate took it upon herself to get this thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. And the same things happen that always happen when you do these jigsaw puzzles. You start it with great enthusiasm. You think, this would be good. We can't just sit around eating turkey, watching television all day. Let's do something constructive. Let's do a puzzle. And Kate got this puzzle. It was like a festive one. It was really appropriate to the season. It had Father Christmas, even though he's a demon. And it had a joke. He had a cat and a dog, and they were eating his milk and cookie, and there was a Christmas tree. And it was it's just a wonderful, heartwarming scene of Christmas with a, an open fire burning and all those things that make you feel good. And so you start off this jigsaw puzzle and you start off with the 
edges and you get the sides going. And everyone has their own technique in how you do the jigsaw puzzle. You've got the ones that put all the pieces in a kind of um, special little piles where they're sorted according to their shape. So these are all the jigsaw puzzles with one outy bit and three inny bits. And these are all the ones with two outies and two. That's kind of like my speed. Yeah, that's, yeah, me and Sam. It's, it's logical. No? How did, that's, okay, so how do you do yours, Sam? Shapes of like areas of the puzzle. Okay, so some people, they like to do it with like, oh, I'm going to do the Christmas tree, or I'm going to do the presents, or I'm going to do Father Christmas, and you get all the red ones. Some people just get fixated on one little piece, and it's like, I've got this piece, and they try it all over the place, uh, messing up my nice pattern of selected psychotic pieces. And you all have your ways of doing this, but the very thing that always happens when you start a jigsaw puzzle is you have this rush of excitement and energy. We've started the jigsaw puzzle, and then it's immediately followed by a dreadful, deep existential gut feeling where you just think, why, or oh, why, or oh, why did we start this thing now? Because it looks fun, but it's just so, it's so much, it's so much more. When a thousand pieces, I was saying to Kate, why have you done this to us? We're supposed to be enjoying our Christmas time together and you're making us do this, but it has this way of drawing you in. Am I on my own in this? No? You, you, you're with me? And, and you, you just, you think that it will take an afternoon, but you're doing it for day upon day upon day upon day. And every time you move past, you know, we've, we've now moved it to the, the dining room table, it takes up everything. Every time you move past, you think, oh, I'll just do a little bit. I'll just do a couple of pieces. And then an hour and a half later, headache throbbing, you then finally drag yourself off. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. But then you finally get to the point, we, we got to this point, where you finally finish off, actually, with Kate and I, we were doing the puzzle together, but we had uh, our eldest daughter staying, she's back from Dubai for a couple of weeks, my mum, my dad, my aunt, we're all kind of gathered in, it's this corporate big family thing, and then finally everyone's left us, Zoe's gone back to Dubai, and it's just me and Kate, and we're just dreadfully going through it, we've got to finish this puzzle off. We finished it. I had two pieces, thank, thank you. <laughs> Two pieces missing, honestly. It's like, why? We turned the house upside down and couldn't find these pieces. But it didn't matter because, you know, it's, it's okay. And there was small, it was such a big puzzle. You don't really notice them on the background that we had. And then you just bask in your awesomeness. I did the jigsaw puzzle. We did it together. My technique worked, so back off. It was all good. And then you just enjoy you have created a picture that is was exactly like the picture that you started out with on the box. And then you wait for a couple of days and you, you look at it. And then after three days, you just dismantle it and throw it back into its box and you never do anything with it again. And every single jigsaw puzzle that I've ever done in my life goes along that pattern. A lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of creativity, a lot of time and a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, some arguments about, you know, I don't like the way that you are randomizing my pieces, all that stuff. And then you finally accomplish it and then immediately it goes back in the box and you never look at it again. Now, why do I do this torturous analogy? It's because of this. Many of us are in danger of living a jigsaw life. 
You can have a jigsaw life, which means you put a lot of energy and effort, a lot of attention and time, a lot of your heart and soul, and you give it your best, but it doesn't go into anything that lasts. It's possible to have a jigsaw life. You can look back over the years and all these things that you've poured yourself into, you've given yourself into, find when you look back on it, it hasn't lasted. It didn't last. Some of you, you've had jigsaw relationships. Relationships that you thought were going to go somewhere. And you put a lot of energy and you put a lot of time and you put a lot of emotional investment into these things. And maybe it went for a few months and maybe it went for a few years and then it ended and it was a jigsaw relationship. Because all that you'd built together ultimately didn't last. And it left you feeling broken. And it's possible to live a jigsaw life, but it's also possible to have a jigsaw church. And I've been around churches for a long time. I've seen a lot of churches. I have been around more churches than I can possibly remember across the UK, across Europe, across Africa, uh, in America. I've seen a whole bunch of churches, and I've seen jigsaw churches. And jigsaw churches have a lot of energy and effort. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of work being done. There's a lot of volunteering. There's a lot of rotors and teams. There's a lot of investment. But you find out with the Jigsaw Church that it does not last. And that thing that was created actually is dismantled and it's put back in the box. And it was as if you never did it. No one keeps a jigsaw puzzle permanently unless you're some kind of strange individual. You don't nail it to your wall. You don't frame it. You do it and then it's done and then it's finished. And the reason that we wanted to have this time to look at vision is to make sure that we as Metro, we don't become and we don't end up as a jigsaw church. We don't want this to be a jigsaw church. We don't want this to be a church where you put your energy and your effort into it. And for those of you that are watching maybe for the first time or you're here kind of looking a little bit on the outside, you don't want to come and be involved in a jigsaw church. You don't want to come and be involved in something that has a lot of sound and energy and fury, but ultimately doesn't produce anything of lasting impact. And you certainly don't want to have a life that's a jigsaw life. And I'm not knocking the things that we do. I'm not saying that everything that you're involved in has to be of cosmic significance. But what I am saying is that unless you look at what your life is accomplishing and make sure that you have total and complete confidence that you're investing and giving and working for something that lasts, you are in danger of living a jigsaw life. And the way that we avoid being jigsaw people or being part of a jigsaw church is that we have to constantly remind ourselves, what are the things that last? What are the things that remain? What are the things that make ultimate difference in this world, in the cosmos, in the world that we live in? What is it that ultimately lasts? And that means we have to keep coming back and asking ourselves the question, because otherwise jigsaws are so easy to just fall into because they distract you, because they're a little bit addictive, because they're easy to feel like, oh, I'm accomplishing this and I've made that thing happen. But it does not make any difference. It's ultimately unimportant. And Jesus, with his disciples, he gathers them together. And he gathers them together to say, this is what is of ultimate importance. And to do this, he asks them a question. 
It's like Jesus says, you need to know what is fundamentally important in life. You need to know what remains, what is really key in reality. And Jesus actually took his disciples away from their ordinary everyday lives, from their normal circumstances. This one occasion, he takes them two days walk from Galilee up into the north, the extreme north of the country to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And then he asked them this question. This is what the passage says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Let's get the next slide. There we go. Uh, The son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. In other words, Jesus asks this fundamental question of his disciples. He says, who do you say that I am? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, or if you're finding your way back into church, that is literally the most important question anybody can ask you, or you can ask yourself. Who is Jesus to you? You could answer it a hundred different ways. He's a good moral teacher. He, he's a good uh, role model. Or he's a fantasy, or a legend, or a myth. But actually, Peter gets it right. He says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the one that's come to save the world. You're God in the flesh. Now, with Peter's revelation at that moment, he still had more to understand. He he was only beginning to get the very edges of understanding about who Jesus was. But fundamentally, he got it. And Jesus says, this is not what you've got to on your own. This is what God the Father has revealed to you. You stumbled onto something. And for those of us that have faith in Jesus, we stumbled onto something. It wasn't necessary that we have incredible insight. For some of us, we were brought up in the right family. For others of us, we met the right people. For some, we went on a spiritual journey. But however you've come to it, those of us here that know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, we've stumbled onto something that God has actually revealed to us. And Jesus says, this is the key thing. This is the most important thing, but it doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says this. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Everyone say church. Church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. First of all, there's wordplay here. In the Greek, the name Peter is Petros, everyone say Petros. Petros, Peter, easy. Uh, And in the Greek, the word that Jesus uses for rock is Petra. Everyone say Petra. Easy to remember. Petros is a small stone or a a pebble. It's a rock. It's a little thing that you could grab a hold of and throw into someone's uh, face. (laughs) I don't know why you would do that. Why would you do that? It's just a rock. Put it down. Um, Petra is like a bedrock. It's like it reminds you of that place in Jordan, that city in Jordan, the, the city of Petra, which is literally carved into rock. You see it on Indiana Jones and the, uh, the Last Crusade. Petra is this massive 
big rock face, a, a, a slab, a foundational rock. And Jesus says, you're a small rock, a little pebble, a stone. But there's something about what you've done and what you've said and what you represent, which is going to be this huge rock face, this sheer face of rock. And I'm going to build my church upon this bedrock. But let's look at that word church. In the word, the church, in the word, in the Greek, that word church is ecclesia. Ecclesia, which is why we talk about ecclesiastic things when we talk about the church. It's actually a Greek word. It's made of two Greek words, ek and lesia, which is from laos. Now, ek or ex, it means from, out of, like exit or exhale. It is a directional word. And laos, the root of lesia, it literally just means people, as in a race of people, a group of people. And this is the problem with the word church. When we hear the word church, we think about a big building with a bell on the top. But when Jesus used the word ecclesia, he's talking about a people with direction. So Jesus didn't say, you've got it right, you know who I am, and on this petra, on this rock, I will establish my religion. He didn't say that. He didn't say, on this rock, I will build my philosophy. He didn't say that. He didn't say, on this rock, I will build my way of doing life. He didn't say, on this rock, I will build my loose affiliation of people that have a personal piety and they can just get on with it on their own. He said, no, on this rock, I will build a people with direction. I'll build a community with a calling. I'll gather together an assembly that has action and activity and motion and movement. And he says, and the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against it. Do you know what the gates of Hades are? Again, there's so much to unpack in this, but briefly, gates in Jewish thought represent the leaders, the powers, the, the power structures. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, you got the main thing, the main thing. You know who I am. You know that I've come to save the world. You know that I've come from God. You know that I've come to bring life and hope and meaning and grace to every single individual. And as a result, I'm calling together a community, not a bunch of individuals, but a family, a community together, and you are going to do work against the powers and the forces of darkness. And then he goes on, it's even better. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Let's get that next slide on. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you know what? A jigsaw church doesn't affect squat. A jigsaw church does a lot of activity. A jigsaw church gets itself caught up in tradition and ritual and things that we've always done and things that we just do and we don't even know why we do them and doesn't affect anything. But the destiny that God has given us is to be an ecclesia, a church, a gathering, a congregation of people who literally go against the gates, the powers of hell. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you keys of the kingdom. I'm going to give you the keys to bring down heaven onto earth and to destroy the work of hell wherever you find it. It means that we 
friends are caught up in something of eternal significance. Church isn't just something that I'm a part of which is just a lifestyle choice. My faith isn't like a little personalized accessory that helps me to just have a bit of an edge to my experience. No, we are caught up in the cosmic struggle between heaven and hell. We're part of Jesus's hammer blow to strike down the forces of darkness and oppression and wrong and injustice and evil. We're supposed to make a difference. And when we started Metro six years ago, we had a very strong sense of what we were doing. We knew that what we were doing was important. And so we set out really clearly from the very beginning what we were going to do with this community. And we always want to keep coming back to that again and again and again. Otherwise, we end up being a jigsaw church and our lives end up being jigsaw lives. You know that if you've been around um, Metro any length of time, you'll know what these are. But I want us to go over these things. And maybe if you're new to the church, this will be new for you. But we've broken down this thing of what do we do with the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's come to release kingdom of heaven into our reality. What do we do with that? First of all, it's find we say that we want to help people find Jesus. When Jesus asked Peter, God had given him a revelation. Who do you say I am? He found who Jesus was. Not just a good teacher, not just a moral example, but God himself come to live a human life. And the revelation of who Jesus is must be the most important thing about me. Once I've seen it, I cannot unsee it. It has to become the defining thing of my life and the life of anybody that I can possibly meet. And so as a church, we say we want to help people find Jesus. We want to help people find Jesus. And I want to ask you this evening to make a commitment. We will go through find, love, follow, serve. But I want you to take at least one of these things and I want you to make a commitment. How can we help people find Jesus? How can we make sure that in all the activity, in all the distraction, in all the entertainment, that we are doing things that aren't just jigsaw activities, but are lifelong, eternally significant activities? Helping people find Jesus. We've got Alpha, which is coming up. Actually, with Alpha, we were going to do it on the 19th of January in a couple of weeks' time. We've actually just pushed it back a couple of weeks uh, further to February the 2nd because we want to make sure that we have the best possible way of running up to this. With all the restrictions going on and all the challenges around COVID and Omicron, we're just giving ourselves the best possible way of making as many people possible come to it. And so I want to invite you and I want to challenge you, invite your friends. In fact, right now, I want you to do something with me, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the building. I want you just to close your eyes. Everyone around here, just close your eyes. And I want you right now to just picture the faces of two, three, four of your closest friends who don't know Jesus. There might be flatmates. There might be colleagues at work. There may be people that you know from your course. There may be people that you do sports with or you see at the gym or you're on the football team with. It may be a family member, but people that are particularly close to you who don't know Jesus. 
Now, I want you to imagine as you see those faces, I want you to see them finding Jesus, having a revelation that Jesus is who he says he is. Imagine that happening. Imagine being able to worship with them in this very place. And you see them, and they're next to you, and they're worshiping Jesus, and they have a revelation. I want you to imagine them being baptized and giving their lives fully over to Jesus. I want you to imagine that. I want you to picture it. I want you to see it. I want you to grab a hold of it. Okay, you open your eyes back again. Because this is what we are going for. It is hard inviting people. It's hard sharing your story. We are meant, we're made to feel like we're imposing, but nothing could be further from the truth. We want to help people find Jesus. Nothing could be more loving, more significant. And in 2022, listen to me, in 2022, we're going to see more people come to faith than we have in a long, long time. Because God is wanting to do something great with us as a community. He's wanting to do something great with us individually. Secondly, it's the way that we meet together. Now, Steve already said at the start of the service that we're consolidating. We're wanting to meet together. Why? Because there's something very powerful about the body of Christ when it comes together to worship. And if we are in a season where we are just disrupted by this pandemic, then it makes sense to come together as one church, one service. We feel like we gave uh, our best shot last term to meeting um, in two services. And I know so many people have enjoyed that kind of, oh, two smaller services, it's great. But actually, we want to do the thing that we feel will be most effective in seeing people finding Jesus. And there's something about coming together. You know, Paul, when he wrote to the early church, he says, you want to see the power of God so demonstrated in your meeting together when you worship together that people from the outside will come in and say, surely God is with you. Now, we have a thing that's happening right now in our culture, and it's happening right here in our church. And what it means is that we are feeling less and less inclined to come to church regularly, to come to a church service regularly. And what I want to do is, respectfully, I want to invite you to kick against that. You know, everything in our world is just being privatized and individualized. But there's something about the calling that we have as the ecclesia, the, the, the call together, gathering of people with purpose, God's community coming together that is fundamentally important. Some of us, we used to come to church three times a month. We're only coming out twice a month. Some of us, we used to be there every week. Now it's maybe once or twice a month. And I get that and I understand that, but I want us to, to push against it. Because as, um, again, another writer in the early church says, let's not neglect meeting together because there's something happens. There's something when we get together that worship, we push back the powers of hell. Because Jesus says, I've given you the keys. I've given you the keys. Use the keys that I've given you. Use the authority that I've given you. Come together in the way that I have intended for you to do. Not just as a, just one of many things to include in my busy schedule, but as a priority. And here's the first zinger. We've talked about this a little bit, but we are planning a morning service. Whoa. 
We are planning a morning service. We're going to do it. Now you say to me, oh, Philip, you're a fool. No one plans anything in a pandemic. Did you not pay attention the last two years? And we say, yeah, thanks. A little bit rude. But we do believe that God is speaking to us. We do believe that he's given us the keys of the kingdom. And we know that this is a challenging thing and we're working on how to make it happen in reality. But we feel that we have to provide a witness to our city. We want to have a, a service where we can welcome families in, where we can see children coming to faith, where maybe uh, different food groups and age groups and, and stage groups can come together in a way that we're not able to do at the moment. In other words, we want to see not just one morning service, but we want to see a whole host of different church expressions planted. And that's part of how we help people find Jesus. We believe that there is a ripe harvest. So here's my question to you. What will you do? What commitment will you make in 2022 in order to push forward on that great call and commission on our lives to help people find Jesus? Secondly, love. We want to draw people into loving relationships with one another. Now, for us, that means hubs. Hub life is a big deal. And we want to, again, we want to encourage people to to integrate and to, to prioritize hub. If you've been coming to Metro for a while and you're not in a hub, now's the time to do that. That's your number one New Year's resolution. Join a hub. For those of you that are in hub but you've kind of let it slide or it's fallen down your priority list, completely understandable. But now's the time to say, let me pick it back up again. Put your hand up if you were born after 1995. Okay. All, look around, all those with your hands up, you are officially part of Generation Z. Z. <laughs> Generation Z, I, Gen. Um, both my children, Generation Z. Do you know you are the most safe generation in history? You're the most safe generation of teenagers and 20-somethings in the history of planet Earth. Did you know that? You have less car crashes. You have less accidents. You have uh, less awful escapades. Your, your suicide rate is higher, but we're not going to talk about that right now. But in terms of accidental damage, in terms of car crash, road accidents, you are the safest generation that the world has ever seen. Give yourselves a round of applause. Do you know why you're the safest? You just don't go out. You're not going to get hit by a car because you're on your phone in your bedroom. Uh, and that is the reality of the, the generation that is the way that our world is going. We are more at home. We are less like it. And the pandemic has kind of killed off so much of our corporate life together. We don't go to the cinema anymore. We've got Netflix at home. We have day and date release in the cinema on my phone or wherever I want to watch it. And I'm not knocking that. It's just a thing. It's, it's neither good nor bad. But what it does mean is that in a work from home world, in a world of self-isolation, in a world where all my choices can be enjoyed at home, in a world where a peloton or an exercise class online means I don't have to go out into some sweaty gym. It's way more convenient. I'm all on my own. But in a world that is increasingly atomized and people on their own, we, the church, need to come together and say, 
this community. Human beings need community. We need one another. We need to be able to connect. And the church has a God-given mandate to model and demonstrate to the world a kind of way of being human, which we're in danger of missing out on and losing. We do community. Here's another zinger. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the Metro Weekend happening. March the 25th to the 27th. And guess what? It's March. It's the Metro Weekend 2020. Yeah, finally. If you can have the Olympics 2020 and 2021 and, and the Euros and all that stuff, it gets confusing. We're just going to have the 2020 Metro Weekend. We had 100 plus people booked onto that weekend when we pulled the plug. Here's the thing. Some of you, you've been, well, put your hand up. Who, who's been part of the church in, in the last two years? You, you've joined in the last two years. Okay, you've never experienced a Metro weekend. And actually, for some of you, it's, it's not the fact that you've not been to a weekend. It's the fact that it's so hard to make closer relationships. And some of us have struggled to connect with one another. Some of you, you find it difficult to find your way into the, the large community of church because we just haven't had these opportunities anymore. Now again, you say to me, Philip, what are you doing? You're announcing a weekend away in the middle of, of a huge Omicron wave. Well, we're going to, I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> we're going to go for it. And I want us to come together and to build a community of love. Okay, third one, really quickly. It's follow. We want to help people follow Jesus. Right after this passage, when Jesus says, who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. Jesus says, anyone who wants to follow me must take up their cross, deny themselves. He talks about the cost of following Jesus. It's so easy to live a jigsaw Christianity if you don't take followership of Jesus seriously. Jesus didn't come in to give us a little bit of extra topping on our normal lives. He came in to fundamentally change the way that we do relationships, the way that we do finance, the way that we do ecology and the environment, the way that we do our jobs, the way that we do uh, education, community, the whole kit and caboodle, how we do our, our sexuality, how we do our choices, how we do all these things in life. And we need to have one another helping each other to follow Jesus. That's why we have things like Metro Mentoring. We have our mentoring system whereby we gather together, we meet just one-on-one, -on -one, where there's someone who can just catch up with you, meet up with you, pray for you, got your back, able to challenge you. We all need this stuff. Every Friday morning, I go for a walk with one of my dearest friends. We've done it for many, many years. And we have coffees together and we have pastries together. And then I say to him, listen, I need to confess my sins to you. And sometimes I don't uh, say that. But he says, Philip, what do you need to tell me? What do I need to know? What is it about you that no one else knows but I need to know. And I tell him, and we speak to one another, and we pray for one another, we G one another up. Everyone needs someone to help them follow Jesus. One quick example, we're going to wrap this up in a second, but giving. You know, I know of no greater thing that tells of a person's spirituality than whether you give and how you give. Jesus said, with the measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. 
And so much of what the Bible talks to us about in terms of counting the cost of uh, following Jesus, it translates into every area of life. And finance is the big indicator. And I only say that because there's, there's 50% of people who are part of this community of faith who don't give at all. Now, if you're not part of the church, don't take this on. This is not for you. You're not, in, you're not, you're not invited into this conversation. You're not allowed to give. Keep your money. We, we don't want your money. But if we are a family, if we are a community, then we need to be giving. Uh, we'll say more on this as we go through the year. But just to say, giving should be, it should be prioritized. It should be proportional. And it should be personal. So we sort of walk a bit of a tightrope between not wanting to say um, too much about money and wanting to make sure that we don't just ignore it. But suffice to say, if you're not giving, this is a time, and maybe for some of you, this is your challenge. I'm going to start giving. Just go to the website, woodlandsmetro.church slash giving. For some of us, it's like, actually, I really need to reevaluate my giving. At the end of last year, this is what happened with me personally. I just thought, do you know what? I am a little bit too comfortable. Most of my money is going on myself. I need to be giving to the global poor. I already give 10%. Kate and I, we give 10% to the church. That's just done um, without even thinking about it. But I want to give over and beyond that. Um, and that's not just to say, look at us, but it's simply that we challenge one another. Am I giving? If you're not giving, now's the time to do that. And then finally, serve. We want to serve the city. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my gathered together, called together, people on a purpose, people on a mission, people with direction. And they're going to bring the kingdom of heaven. And I pray for our city, our city of Bristol, you know, the cocaine capital of Europe, the hot spot for young suicide across the whole nation, a place that has the highest ind indices of inequality, injustice, a place that has been highlighted on the world stage for our questionable history and our struggle to bring justice, a place where there is more homelessness per capita than almost anywhere else in the country, certainly outside of London. And I say, God, God, don't let us be a jigsaw church that just meets together and blithely goes through the motions. Sing a happy song, have a coffee, talk to my friend and the city is unaffected. When we started Metro, we said we wanted to be the kind of church that if we ceased to be, the city would miss us. We don't mind if Christians miss us or not, but we want those on the edges, those on the margins to miss us if we weren't here. We want kids that currently need free school meals uh, and rely on help outside of those times. We want them to miss us. We want the homeless to miss us if we're not doing what we do. We want those that are struggling with mental health crises to miss us if we're not doing what we do. We want to serve the city. We want to serve the city. We want to impact Bristol. And Jesus says, I've given you keys. I've given you literally in your hand 
Why, Jesus? You take the keys back. You do it. No, I'm giving you the keys. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm allowing you to bring heaven down to earth. And so we serve. We want to serve with um, the, the volunteering opportunities that we've got. We want to serve with things like Headspace, where we go and start, we're working on creating this resource uh, uh, that helps people struggling with mental health. And then we want to be uh, just making sure that in team life, serving teams, that we are we're keeping ourselves in those great habits and patterns of serving because we're all serving here as a community. But it's like, what could God do with us? Why do we do this stuff? You know, I'm, I'm like getting older and older. I've, I've no right to be this passionate about the things of God. I mean, I am, I've been a Christian a long time, long time, half a century. Uh, it's true. I'm gripped. I can't unsee what I've seen. Somehow the grace of God came and I saw Jesus and I knew that Jesus was the savior of the world that he was the one God in the flesh. And I knew my whole life had to be given over to this. And church is hard and church is difficult. And particularly now in this time, put your hands up if you love coming to church wearing a mask. We just love being able to do that. And yet here you are. My heart is full because we are coming together and we are God's people. We are his rescue package for our city. So I want us to be challenged. I want us to make sure that 2022 is not a jigsaw year, but it's a year that we do stuff that lasts forever, that builds the kingdom of heaven on this patch of ground. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you've called us to do the things that last. And we want to be people that put the last things first. Lord, those things that will last for eternity, we want to invest our lives in them. I want to pray for us, Lord God, as a community. I want to pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be hectored or badged, badgered, that we wouldn't be guilt-tripped or manipulated, but that we would be a people of revelation who have caught a glimpse of the Son of God. And as a result, we give ourselves to being part of your called out people, your community of destiny and calling. Lord God, would you help us to grab a hold of your purposes? And we pray for our friends that don't know you. We want to see them come to faith this year. We want to pray for the communities that we're creating within this body, this family. Lord, would you strengthen them? We want to pray for our discipleship and apprenticeship to Christ, that we will become more and more like Jesus, that we'll be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We pray for our impact as we serve the city, those that you love, especially the poorest. Lord, would you do great things through us, things that last in Jesus' name.